Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Chris Geis, and this is episode 24 titled Tom Walker, the Moto Coach, and Getting Me on the Track. In this episode, I talk with Tom Walker, also known as the Moto Coach, who is a certified Motorcycle Safety Foundation rider coach, a track day coach and enthusiast, and creator of his Corner College Rider Skills Development Training Program. We talk about a recent accident he had on the track, his injuries, and how his recovery is going, and the effectiveness of his gear in this high-speed crash. We also start the conversation to cover the various things that I need to do to get myself and my bike ready to start doing track days in the not-too-distant future. This episode was recorded on Wednesday, August 14th, 2019. I hope you enjoy it. So, you want to ride a motorcycle? Well, you've come to the right place. Because this is the So You Want to Ride a Motorcycle podcast. Tonight's episode is a fairly long one, so I'm not going to go over a great deal of news, but there's just a couple of things I wanted to mention before we get into the main part of tonight's episode. So first, some great news. John Gardner IV, G4, who's been on two of my uh, prior episodes, was the winner of the Moto America weekend general admission ticket that Chris Bays and I teamed up to give away, and he's going to be seeing the championship of Pittsburgh and Pennsylvania this coming weekend. He also will have a chance to meet racer Chris Bays in person. I recently recorded an episode together with both John and Chris, and that will be coming out soon. So keep your keep your eyes and ears open for that. Also, just a, a comment I uh, just wanted to make to new riders, you know, who are listening to the podcast, or I mean, a- anyone listening to the podcast, but particularly new riders. And that's related to the fact that, you know, in recent episodes, like the episode with Jay and the one with Dan Netting and the one with Braden Ort, and now the episode tonight with Tom Walker, uh, they've involved at least in part, you know, related to accidents that these people have had on motorcycles. So I think it's important to say I'm not trying to scare off any riders, particularly new riders. That's that's not the point of discussing these kind of things. But this is a fact of life. And, you know, one of the things I have talked about in past episodes is motorcycling can be dangerous. That's something that anyone who wants to ride, I think, needs to honestly take a look at and and educate themselves about and you need to learn how you can do things to improve your skills and protect yourself by wearing proper gear so it's just something it's a conversation i don't want to avoid having it's not something i'm trying to emphasize or you know like i said upset or scare people but it is something that happens and so i think it's important to talk about it Um, and you know always the focus is on finding out what happened to people and then one you know generally hearing that they're recovering and planning to get back riding again which is awesome but also finding out what they've learned you know what what lessons are gained and and what do they want to share with the rest of us riders whether you know you've experienced a crash of your own or not so that we can all just be safer riders so that that's the point and the goal with that so like i said i, I don't want people to be kind of freaked out or turned away you know especially if you're a new rider but again just educate yourself and just be aware that you know things things can go wrong and just do what you can to improve your skills and wear good gear and you know have a motorcycle in good operating condition so that you minimize the risks 
If you haven't already, please drop me an email or fill out the contact form on my website or message me in Facebook or Instagram and let me know that you're out there and anything you want to let me know about the show. You can email me anytime at soyouwanttoride at yahoo.com or use the link in the podcast notes to my website where you'll find all my contact details. And one thing I did want to mention, if by chance you've been reluctant to contact me in any of those methods uh, because you don't want to have your communication to me or your email or message read on an episode, that's totally fine. I mean, just so you know, um, I, I never read an email or message or anything on an episode unless I've gotten explicit permission from the person. So if you do write to me you know, and you're, you're cool with having me read it on, the, on an upcoming episode, or in fact, if you'd even like that, definitely let me know. Uh, I think it's really cool. I think it's a good way for me to interact with my audience and also for other people to just learn about other listeners in the audience. And in a couple cases, like uh, with Alex Petzl and uh, Adrian Northam, you know, they kind of hooked up because uh, Adrian had some questions about uh, getting back into riding and what motorcycle to pick. And Alex had experience with some of the bikes he was interested in, so that kind of got them hooked up. So yeah, by all means, you know, please write in. Like I said, I, I won't you know, read or publish anything that you send to me. I'll treat it as a private communication unless you say otherwise, or if you don't specify, you know, I'll follow up with you and just check to make sure it's okay. And if not, and you, if you'd rather just have it be a private communication or even just something I read anonymously on an episode, or, you know, if you want, I'll just read your first name or your initials or however you want to do it. It's totally cool. But I just don't want you to be discouraged from, from writing in for that reason. Uh, Cause I do appreciate, I really, really appreciate and enjoy all the all the communications and things that I'm getting and it's kind of my pay for doing the podcast you know is is getting an email and you know someone telling me that they they enjoy the episodes or they learn something new or, or whatever it happens to be it's just uh it's some really good feedback for me so by all means you know feel free to write in also if you'd like to help support the podcast you can make a donation using PayPal by going to paypal.me/christophergeis or click the donate link at the upper right on my website. So without any further ado, let's get into tonight's episode and interview with Tom Walker, the Moto Coach. My special guest tonight is Tom Walker, who among many other things is a Motorcycle Safety Foundation rider coach, a podcaster, and most importantly, as far as this episode goes, is a track day enthusiast. So welcome, Tom. Hello. How's it going, Chris? How are you? Oh, good. Thanks. Thanks for joining me. So, I, I figured I would I would set the the scene here a little bit. So, the way this came about, if I recall, and, and correct me if my if memory doesn't serve, but it was some a couple months ago, I think. You and I were chatting. I don't know if it, on not Skype. I don't know if it was through Instagram or Facebook or whatever. And I forget exactly what prompted the chat, but we were kind of talking a little bit about track days and stuff. And I think at one point you said, "Hey, dude, you just have to come try it." And I was like, you know, what? that's cool because I've been talking about it and some I've been interested in. And so I was like, hey, what do you think about since you do track days? Uh, you know, what do you think about coming on the podcast? And let's talk about getting me onto the track. Right. Um, and actually, the, the way that you and I met um, well, for sure, when I did your corner college course, right. Right? Right. which was which was really cool. And I've talked about it on the show, which I know you, you listen. So you probably know that. Um, so that, that was a ton of fun. And then. I'm trying to remember, it's even possible, I don't know if you remember, if, if when I did the MSF Basic Writer course, if you were the instructor. Because... I, I was not the instructor, yeah. Okay. I, I, I don't remember it, certainly. I mean, I, you know, um, I probably would have remembered you because you're, you're quite a good writer to begin with. 
But um, but yeah, I don't think I was your BRC, let's say the basic rider course instructor. Okay. Um, but um, but I, you did do it with the school that I work with on the road yeah. again. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Which, and I, I've talked about them as well. And actually, it's cool because uh, that they are a, a supporter of the podcast. You know, they've they've made a uh, donation via PayPal, which is greatly greatly appreciated. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, uh, I, I've actually talked about getting um, Harley. Nemzer on, yep, um, yep. and actually, I, I keep not not this most recent one, but he usually comes down to the uh, the cycle gear bike nights that they have. Yeah, he goes know, to on, almost all of them. Yeah, one Tuesday month, so it's kind of cool. And usually, he's on a different yeah. bike, so <laughs> it's nice. Right, he's got, he's got, got enough motorcycles. You can go the whole. Uh, <laughs> he can go the whole spring yeah. and summer, including that, that, that Moto Guzzi that he got recently, which is just a beautiful, beautiful bike. Um, anyway, so hopefully he's listening now because uh, I, I know he listens to the podcast. So uh, kudos to him on his on his motorcycle collection. Um, anyway, so we, we actually had set up you were going to come on the podcast. We we're going to talk about you know again getting me on the track, and then you had a little bit of a, an incident, yeah. I guess. So do you want to you want to talk about that? Share that a little bit. What happened? Yeah, sure. So I remember specifically being excited because you know um it's not every day you get somebody who's new to motorcycling who wants to get on the track who also really wants to learn right and, and doesn't have that thought of you know i'm good and uh you know i don't i don't need anybody to tell me what to do i just need to get some time you know so it's it's kind of a treat for somebody who's a coach to actually find somebody who likes to be coached and asks a lot of questions um so i remember being quite excited about that first of all uh, and then i remember being uh, we probably even set up the time, I believe, to to do the the I think talk, so. yep. which was either the week of that crash or the week after that crash. I, f- I forgot which one. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was it was the Wednesday after the weekend when you were on the track. Yeah. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. It, it must have been because I, uh, you know, well, I'll explain the crash first, and then. <laughs> so actually, it was um, I was actually coaching that day. I was track day coaching um, for a Ducati owners club, uh, Desmo. In the, in the northeast region of the U.S. And um, it's one of the things that I do. I've been with that club for a very long time. I was uh, almost exclusively a Ducati guy for uh, for probably 10 years. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, as, a, as I went through my motorcycling career, I fell in love with Ducatis for quite a while. I still I still have two of them, but uh, um, I'm not an exclusive Ducati person anymore, let's say. But um, but yeah, I still uh, you know deal with the Ducati uh, enthusiast organizations quite a bit, and one of the things I like to do is is do their coaching for their track day with a bunch of other um, really talented people. And uh, so this was at um, New York Safety Track, and uh, it was a very interesting day because the the day before it had dipped to about forty two degrees overnight, uh, and it rained like a almost like a hurricane. It was a very strange weather pattern, so the the track was basically completely stripped bare of, of all rubber. Um, and, uh, you know, overnight the ground had, had actually gotten quite cold as well. So, you know, those are, those are things you, you keep in your mind. Okay. The track is going to be cold and everything's, you know, you're going to, you're going to ride appropriately for that. It's not the day to be doing your best lap times and things like that. And I, um, I actually even run a class during that. So I, um, I'm trying to adopt my corner college, uh, program to be also a track uh, version of that. So the, the corner college um, is something that I developed that is uh, on the um, uh, in a parking lot uh, that tries to take some specific skills and, and lets people who have either never been on a track before or have been on a track for a little bit and maybe they reached a plateau in a certain region um, and uh, and kind of focuses on that. And I've been thinking about you know how can I change this program to be more of a track day oriented kind of thing. So, you know, I specifically remember in the morning telling everyone, you know, always remember one thing, motorcycling is risky and motorcycling is dangerous. 
And today it's very cold out and you want to make sure that you're, you know, that you're going uh, nice and easy, particularly the first couple of laps. Um, so everything in the morning actually went quite well. Uh, we were having uh, a really good time. Um, and by the time we got to lunch, the, uh, the sun had come out and it actually, the sun got quite strong. Um, the temperature was still actually pretty cold. It was, well, it was about 50, 55 degrees, which in, in track temperatures is, you know, still pretty cold. Right. Um, but, um, so it got sunny and the, and the pace was up a little bit. And, you know, one of the things as a coach is that you're very rarely, um, thinking about yourself. You're really thinking about, um, your other riders and you have a very, you know, a varying speed, uh, and a skillability of different riders. So, um, so one of the things you do quite a bit is you do a lap or two at a, at a pace that actually cools your tires down for, you know, for the, for the skill level that you're normally at. And then you'll, you know, you'll meet up with somebody who's a little bit faster and then you'll, you know, you'll follow them uh, as well. So you've got to be very mindful of, of tire temperatures. It's one of the most important things as a coach, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm sure other coaches uh, would, would definitely attest to. Um, so uh, what happened was, is the sun had come out, the track temperature had actually gone up, even though the temperature was still low because the well mostly the track is black and and sun will will um, increase the temperature of that uh, of that ground sure uh, but then the clouds rolled in again and now once your mindset is at a certain um, let's say a certain uh, pace when the clouds come back out um, and the sun goes away and the ground is still quite cold um, that temperature of the asphalt drops pretty quickly again and I just happened to be with a with a slower group of people and uh, we went out uh, for one or two laps which, you know, probably didn't do much for my tires. And, um, and then I went to uh, catch up with a faster group of people. And um, I, uh, I crashed in probably a spot I would have never dreamed in my life that I could ever crash, uh, which is turn nine. It's a very high-speed uh, right-hand turn after a very high-speed left-hand turn. And I more or less made the left for uh, turn eight, and then uh, went to make the turn into turn nine. I'm already looking ahead at the person who, you know, I'm trying to at least see how they went through turn nine and, and see how they're going to handle 10. And, um, yeah, basically just, uh, the front tire pretty much never gripped at all. And, uh, I went down pretty hard. Uh, I actually, uh, broke a rib and I broke my right pinky probably pretty instantly. So you can imagine the trajectory of going, you know, leaning to the left and then swinging over to the right and more or less never stopping, you know? So, um, right. So, you know, it, it was a, it was a pretty hard hit. Uh, the problem with a hit like that and a crash, a cold tire crash like that is you're really not expecting it whatsoever. Right. Um, so as a result of that, the next thing you know, you're on the ground at, you know, 90 miles an hour or so. And you have to, uh, (laughs) you have to make sure that you, you know, you don't damage yourself anymore. And unfortunately I have crashed enough times that I did, was able to have a conversation with myself while crashing, which, okay. Yeah. <laughs> As some people would attest, certainly, you know, much faster people than me. And, and, you know, you get to a point, unfortunately, if you do crash enough that you can actually have conversations with yourself while crashing and making sure that you're not doing certain things to, to make it a whole lot worse. Right. You don't you don't really want to brace yourself. You want to put your arms and your legs up and if, if possible, slide on your back. Right. Um, but since this happened so quickly, I ended up um, catching my elbow, my right elbow into the ground, which turned me into a barrel roll. And I started to spin. Um, and again, the first, you know, your first instinct is to brace yourself. But then my second instinct was to say, no, no, bring your, bring your arms in tight, you know, almost like a, like a boxer trying to block punches and just, just roll with it. Just let it go. And I rolled, 
I'm not really sure how many times. Uh, never lost consciousness. Uh, but when I came to a stop, uh, you know, I basically checked all my fingers, checked everything. And when I went to take my first step, my left ankle screamed out in pain. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> and that's when I realized, okay, this was not an ordinary crash. And, right. um, and yeah, then, then we went through a series of uh, situations where I realized how, uh, how intense the, um, the ankle really turned out to be. Um, and, and pretty much ended my day right about at lunchtime. Uh, when I was trying to, you know, help other riders ride. And, and, you know, there's a couple of things that go through your head as a coach at that point. And one of them is, well, now I'm holding up everybody as the coach, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's not a very good thing. Um, but, um, you know, but the other thing is just letting people down, maybe getting, you know, fear into people's minds that, you know, maybe track riding is, is much more dangerous than they thought it is, which, I mean, it's not not dangerous, but it's not incredibly dangerous either if you do the right things, particularly you know, as you start off, and, right. you know, and just kind of let everyone down in that sense. And that, that was, uh, that was kind of a bummer, but, um, sure. like, yeah, the ankle, yeah, yeah. The, the ankle turned out to be a pretty bad, uh, pretty bad, uh, uh, injury that I've been dealing with, um, even until today really. So, um, yeah. 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 Gotcha. And that, that was how long ago now? So that was two months ago. So this okay. is, um, uh, let's see. Uh, two and a half months. It's two months post operation, so I had a I had to have an operation on my ankle, um, and I would say three days ago was the first time with a boot on that I was actually able to walk without an assistive device. Okay, so I've basically been in crutches, or um, I've been using this thing called an eye walk, which is like um, it looks like a pirate's leg if I could explain it anyway. So you basically put your knee mm-hmm. into this thing, and and you look like a pirate, or you look like Saw Gerrera if you're a Star Wars fan. Um, and uh, it's actually quite nice cause you can keep your hands free and things like that. So that, that device kind of kept my sanity a little bit in the process, but, um, sure. yeah, it's actually, it's interesting. I actually saw a guy this morning when I was walking, walking to the office from the subway. And at first I thought, I was like, wow, like, look at the guy with the prosthetic leg. Like he seems to have like a you know, really good balance or whatever. And then I realized it was that kind of thing. It was kind of like a, I don't know how to describe it, like a pogo stick with yep. a platform sculpted that you put your knee and then he had like a handle. He was kind of holding I guess and then his, his leg was behind, you know, so I was like, okay, got it, you know. Right, right. And then yeah. I saw the boot on his foot, so, yeah. Yeah, I had, you have to uh, walk a little sideways to let people know that you don't, you're not an amputee. Because <laughs> I've got, you get that a lot, people. One guy said, oh, I thought you, you know, I thought you, uh, right. you know, got your leg blown off in the war or something like that. Gotcha, and I gotcha. said, no, no, no. Right. And, <laughs> and also want to make sure people don't walk into your lower leg, you know, as they're cutting across you, especially like in a busy right. place like New York City, right? So. They're right, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, so when so in the crash, so if I get this correctly, so you were on a fast left hand turn, uh, right hand turn. Oh yeah, well, yeah. Well, no, but I mean a left that went into a right. That's right. right. That's right. And yeah. and it was in that right hander that I don't know. I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but like the front wheel tucked, kind of like it was yeah. a low side basically, right? Like you went down on your right side. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, it was, yeah, yeah, it was a complete uh, complete tuck. It was actually almost even worse than a tuck because the but the tire never really bit to begin with, as far as I can re- recall. You know, okay. I just so, simply remember going sh- pretty much straight down, which is pretty rare. Yeah, uh, it, that's only something that really happens with cold tires or if you're doing something really really bad. Um, so it's it's uh yeah. So is it kind of like, and I'm just trying to visualize it, right? Having never experienced it, is it sure. kind of like the bike? tipping over like as opposed like i could see a, a different feel between the tire sliding out from yep. under you and kind of just the bike just you know kind of goes over on the side yeah so if you if you've ever um fallen asleep 
and had that feeling of falling that wakes you back up. You're like, right. as you're going yeah. to sleep, that, ah. that's, that's what they call the jump scare. Right. And that's what a cold tire front and crash feels like the okay. more or less the, one moment you're, you're, you're on a motorcycle and the next moment you're, you're literally in free fall. Right. And mm-hmm. it's a, uh, it's a pretty terrible experience. And actually when it's as traumatic as that, um, I remember I, I was obviously in the hospital for, for, for a few days and um, you know, every time a nurse woke me up, it was a jump scare again. You know, it was a very interesting psychological thing that had to go through your mind to, to really work through that again before somebody could wake me up without me feeling like I was falling. You know, it's a, sure. it's a very interesting thing. Well, Whereas if you, if you tuck the tire, it's, it's more like the tire is biting, you can feel it, and then all of a sudden the, the handlebars turn um, in the opposite direction of the, of the turn. Right? They, they, they almost countersteer more, right? Right, right, okay. And, and uh, you know, the really good guys, the Marquezes and things like that, they know at that moment to actually turn the handlebars into the turn, which is a way to get the motorcycle back up. But you, you have to have incredible skill to have the presence of mind to do that. Right. And, and reflexes. So, you know, I can do that. <laughs> right. Oh, but that's, gotcha. that's one of the tricks. Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So um, how, how many crashes have you had? Do you, do you, do you keep count at all? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, let me see. I haven't counted in a while, but... Um, I had, uh, so I've been riding for 23 years. Wow. Um, and I, I've had two on the street, uh, many years ago. Um, and then I've had one, two, three, four on the track. Okay. So yeah. Yeah. And you know, two of those, two of those crashes on the track were, were really, um, slow, uh, in the rain actually. Um, and, um, the the other one was actually a, another fast one uh, that was early on in my track career when I was actually tracking with a, a Ducati Monster. <laughs> so it was my first Ducati actually, and I um, I fell in love with this Ducati right away. It was it was a, um, a 2001 uh, Monster 900 SIE. So it was the first uh, fuel injected Monster okay. uh, that, that came to the states, and it was just a you know it was an absolute beautiful motorcycle to have when. Up to that point, I'd, I'd ridden primarily sport bikes. So um, I had taken some time off for, for whatever reason from motorcycling for a few years. And when I got back into it, I decided to go completely the opposite direction and get a monster and, you know, and, uh, and you know, just, just kind of live that life a little bit. And it was, it was really a treat, honestly, that motorcycle. Um, but uh, eventually I got on the track and I had uh, more or less overridden its ability at some point. And, uh, uh, this was actually in Pocono. So um, before Pocono was redone, the old Pocono, the FUSA course or the FUSA course was was pretty well known for having bumps uh, in some of the turns. And uh, I'm pretty sure that suspension couldn't handle the braking pressure that I was doing at that moment. Locked the front tire up in a braking maneuver that put me into a Superman slide. And mm-hmm. that one, I actually lost a little bit of my palm because <laughs> mm-hmm. it went through the glove and through right. the palm as well. And that was... It was probably ten years ago at this point, so that one that that was a pretty bad one. But other than that, most of the crashes I've had have actually been pretty low impact, you know, um, low low damage, uh, at least to the, my body. <laughs> Some sure. of them have been more damage to the motorcycle, I would imagine, than well, my body. But as as the saying goes, it's a lot cheaper to replace metal and plastic than body parts. So I could absolutely if, attest to that. Yeah. Yeah, seeing the latest, uh, um, fortunately covered uh, insurance claims that have yeah. been going through to replace my uh, well, not replace, but at least uh, make my ankle uh, walkable again. Walkable. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Yep, right. yep. 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 Gotcha. 
so then it, it's your left ankle that you broke, yes. right? Yes, so right. how did how did that come about? Just the nature of how you came off the bike as it went over, or so yeah. This it's actually interesting because there is no video of the crash. Um, there is allegedly some person that did have some video on a GoPro that may have been a couple of people back. Um, we had tried to uh, we exchanged numbers, and I tried to um, to get some in, you know see if I can get some video from him. Um, and that kind of trailed off after a while. I was also pretty incapacitated for the first week or two, so I wasn't really in, in the mood of calling people up and you know, understandable, doing those things. Understandable. Yeah, exactly. Um, so if this person listens to that podcast, I am still interested in that video. I, yeah. I'm sorry, I've forgotten his name by now. But um, but I I believe what happened was uh, so. If you can imagine, um, when I fell to the right, I landed on my shoulder and my elbow. And um, I had a Cortec uh, Adrenaline suit on, which, by the way, a fantastic suit because mm-hmm. I have not a single black and blue on my body from that whole wow. incident. Um, and they also have pretty, um, pretty beefy uh, metal sliders on the elbows and on the shoulders. Um, I landed like that, and then apparently it just caught my uh, elbow and sort of spun me. Uh, you know, so now I'm spinning. Uh, from my right side, spinning, head, you know, basically um, shoulder over shoulder. And I assume what happened was I probably spun, I don't know, six or seven times. I assume what happened is my right leg, you can imagine it probably spun, you know, in place. And the left leg kind of whipped around almost like a weed whacker. Right. Okay. Um, and I can imagine that that left leg, you know, before I had the presence of mind to pull it in, you know, really kind of stuck out maybe through centrifugal force or whatever. And, the, the net effect was was to basically take your uh, left boot and somebody gets a um, a sledgehammer and smacks your ankle about four or five times. And um, I had broken, interestingly, I had broken the talus bone, which is the bone inside of the of the ankle. It's kind of like the keystone of the arch of the ankle. Okay. Um, and it, it literally looked like a bunch of rocks. It was uh, it was it was in pretty bad shape, honestly. It was it was broken in about three big pieces and then. The fourth piece was basically pebbles, <laughs> and um, and we've spent a lot of time with surgeries and you know, really talented people looking at it honestly and uh, and getting it to the point that even though on a on an MRI or excuse me on a CAT scan right now it it still looks pretty dodgy. Um, it actually feels pretty stable to be able to put uh, to put weight on. So um, so yeah. So I, I imagine that's what I imagine. I would love to see the video, like I said, but I imagine that sure. effectively my left. Uh, foot became a became a weed whacker, right? Yeah, gotcha. no, that that yeah, that makes sense. So then the um the broken bones, right? The talus bone. So, yep. what, like in the surgery, were they able to kind of do something to hold that together, or like what's the what's the treatment for? What's the correction? Yeah, for so that? they <laughs> yeah, so they um uh, they basically uh, they cut open, they make two incisions on either side of, of the foot. Um, and you get a surgeon, orthopedic surgeon that, uh, basically screws it all back together. So he, he drills, I assume he drills some holes. I wasn't awake, obviously when it happened, but understandable I, also, <laughs> I assume he drills a couple of pilot holes through, you know, through the bone. He tries to plan out how to put these bones in the closest position as possible and then, uh, finishes it off with surgical steel, uh, you know, screws. And, you know, when you look at an x-ray, it's it's kind of interesting. You see these two screws that are kind of through it. They didn't need any plates because I didn't actually break any of the side bones. I just broke the sort of intern, uh, internal talus. Right. Um, and uh, and their goal, you know, obviously one of the things, 
when you're laying around for quite a while is you have enough time to research how bones heal and things like that. And, um, yeah, the main thing is to just get the bones as close together, uh, you know, as they can and, uh, and let the body do its magic. I mean, the human body is really an amazing, amazing thing when you think about it. Uh, Absolutely. It's all you have to do is, is put the bones close together and, and it kind of does the rest. <laughs> right. And, um, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's fascinating, honestly. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Um, it's interesting you mentioned the video, and, and I hope you are able to contact that person. I don't, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to it, but you know, I interviewed Braden Ort you know, a couple episodes ago. He's a super yep. sport racer in Moto America, and he had that really nasty crash at the top of the corkscrew. In the Kuna, I saw that. Yep. Seca, yeah. And, and he, you know, he talked about how it was really important that he was able to get that footage you know, from Moto America, from the producers, to give him an idea of what happened because – he said prior to looking at the video he didn't he had no idea what went wrong and right. he you know he has an onboard data acquisition system i don't know i'm guessing the more sophisticated systems will measure things like you know roll rate and all all the right, you know right. three axis orientation his system maybe it's not that sophisticated i know he's you know he said it's got like 100 sensors but i guess that's all kinds of different things but but anyway that was stuff that they couldn't figure out from the data acquisition system so it's kind of cool that the you know motor america they got cameras all over the place and and nowadays right, too right. and i feel something on facebook i feel what it was i saw but uh oh i, I know what it was because um uh oh, what's his name um another motor america racer had a crash recently um unfortunately i don't know what went wrong but he basically went flying off the track and he had to be doing 60, 70 miles an hour when he hit the wall. Um, Ow, you know, it was yes. just like no way he could slow down. And I guess there was a video a fan had taken or a photo or something. Actually, no, it was video that you could see a, a different angle, you know, that the, like the Moto America hadn't captured with their cameras and stuff. So obviously you never want to see anything like this happen. But for sure, if it does, you want to know best you can what went wrong so you can <laughs> avoid it the next time. So, you know, the more data you have, the more video, photos, whatever, the better. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, honestly, at the moment that it happened and, and the moment, you know, the, the, the hour following that moment, uh, I remember thinking to myself, I've done that turn the same way the entire day. I didn't do anything different. And honestly, that's the worst feeling, right? Because the, the, the best thing you want to get out of a crash is, is knowledge. Yeah. And, you know, when you have literally no reason to believe that you've done anything different, and you don't have any data for that, um, you know, that's a missed opportunity for, for learning. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, so a lot of this is still my idea of what's happened rather than actually seeing it. Um, but, um, but I, I, you know, knowing in the past, I've had another cold tire crash in the past and it was a lot less severe than that, but it was a similar thing. It's, it's like a jump scare, right? The motorcycle just basically completely falls out at a very, you know, moderate lean angle. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, that was when I was running, you know, more like race tires. Uh, these, these, by the way, those were the, um, the tires I was running that day were the Dunlop, uh, Q3 pluses, which are well, well known for heating up very quickly. Um, they're actually really fantastic, uh, beginner track day tires because they do heat up very quickly. Um, and they actually don't wear out in, you know, 500 miles on the street. So if you, if you're right. you know, particularly new, you probably don't have a dedicated track motorcycle and, right. you know, you, you could do something like that. So, so, you know, that was another thought in my process as well. These are tires that warm up pretty quickly, but you know, when the ground is physically 50 degrees and the sun goes away, uh, you know, it's basically, it's the asphalt. It's not the tire so much as the, you know, the, the tire asphalt connection, right? Uh, that temperature and that energy has to be at a certain level for, for everything to really stick well. And, um, 
yeah, that's my thought process right now is that that wasn't <laughs> that sticking was not working at this mm-hmm. moment. Right. Now, I guess that in part, right, and it's not the only reason, but that's kind of where different compounds come in, right? Like you'll hit, you know, you watch a motorcycle race or car races for that matter, right? And, you know, the races will have a different choice of compounds. You know, it's like the hard, the medium, the soft, the super soft, whatever. And so I guess in a case like this, right, you probably would want a softer tire, right, a colder track temperature. Although I'm, I guess kind of what you're getting to is there's a point at which it's, it's not going to matter because the asphalt is cold. And this, this right, really- yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not a uh, a tire expert no, yeah. by by any stretch of the imagination, but um, and I think of this in Celsius only because I hear people say it all the time. But you know, below 15 Celsius, there isn't a tire in the world that's, that's going to enough. that's going to operate it. Yeah, exactly. It, it could be made of practically you know um, like rubber, like rubber cement. Yeah, rubber <laughs> cement exactly. But if if the track temperature is below 15 Celsius. Uh, at 20 Celsius is 70. So I, I always, I always forget what that conversion is, but you know, below 15 degrees Celsius, you're, you're in really dangerous territory for a track style, uh, tire. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which out of curiosity, have you ever heard of a motorcycle race being called because of track temperature? Like, I know it's not uncommon. Like, you know, if the severe rain, like, like really bad, bad stuff, bad rain, bad wind, they will, if it's just considered too right. dangerous, but I'm, thinking i mean there could be situations like beginning end of the season where it's cold enough but i've never heard of them that's actually a good question i I can't think of something i you know if you notice they uh particularly the world class the world premier classes you'll notice they'll do something like in australia you know know, where the seasons are flipped or you know you know they go to austin texas you know where it's already kind of warm and things like that so yeah that's a good question that'd be a good trivia question i'm not sure yeah. All right, so if any listeners know, <laughs> send an email to so you want to write at yahoo.com. <laughs> yeah, it'd be interesting to see. Um, yeah. So it, it sounds like you were pretty happy with your gear, your safety gear. So maybe talk a little bit about that, like just your evaluation, what was right, what was not right, if anything you would have done differently or recommend for people. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Um, and yeah, I think uh, one of the things I've learned is that Gear that is expensive isn't necessarily better than gear that isn't quite as expensive, but cheap gear is cheap gear, <laughs> uh, for sure. Um, uh, so the first thing was I was wearing um, a Cortec Adrenaline full full leather suit, uh, which uh, honestly I think was a seven hundred dollar suit. You know, so you know the Alpine Stars, you know, probably start at eleven hundred or so yeah. and go up to cubic dollars, and the yeah. Dainese's are the same way. You know, yeah. Um, but for a seven hundred, maybe a seven ninety nine, I forget now, but whatever it is, that's a pretty reasonable price point to get a suit that um, absolutely behaved perfectly in that situation. I mean, I did not have a single bruise. So there's even padding that have hip padding built into it. Um, and um, the one thing, of course, that you should do is you should always get a, a back protector uh, to put in, in there. And, um, and I got a CE level two back protector, which uh, I'm glad I did because I'm, I'm assuming with all of that tumbling, if I didn't have very good back protection. I may have also had complications there. Whereas right. I don't even have—I never had a single pain in my neck, in my back. Uh, I did break a rib, but you know, again, that's kind of slamming. I broke one rib. You know, that, right. that would have been something where, uh, truth be told, um, the first time I crashed, and I told you really badly, I broke seven ribs. So that wow. shows you a difference in uh, in the technology. Um, 
also as a side note, the the, the latest uh, CAT scans apparently are so good that they found the other seven rib fractures that <laughs> that okay. I had done previously. Interesting. And at first, they, yeah, at first they thought I had uh, broken eight ribs, and I said, no, 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 I've, I've broken seven already. <laughs> so this was not my first not my first go around. Um, um, but uh, but yeah, so the the Cortex suit was was really good. Um, the gloves held up well. Those were uh, Dainese. Um, um, I want to say the medals. I've actually drawn a blank on that right now, but but they were they were uh, pretty good gloves. Uh, the right glove did uh, pierce through, but uh, my hand never actually got uh, scratched. So mm-hmm. so that that's a good thing. Um, I was wearing I I wear Bell helmets not because I'm sponsored or anything like that, but it is the perfect shape for my head. And right. we can go through that too. That how important it is to get a helmet that fits the shape of your head. Mm-hmm. Because that makes a huge, huge difference in noise and in comfort, but also in protection. Um, and I, I had a bell um, with the MIPS system, which is that new torsional, right. um, the new torsional system. Truth be told, that helmet was three weeks old. <laughs> oh wow! So, okay. Yeah, so. I bought. A, I just happened to buy a brand new. Uh, it was a Bell Star MIPS, um, and it, uh, it. I mean, I remember every second of the entire thing. I didn't. You know, there's not a single no. loss of memory, right. anything like that. Um, and the, and the shell and everything held up pretty well, actually, to be honest with you. So well, um, well, well done on that upgrade. <laughs> yes, exactly. Nothing like getting your money's worth right away on a, <laughs> on a helmet like that. But, uh, but I was very happy with that. Um, and then I had, uh, the, the Dainese, the D, um, the torque, um, uh, the torque outs, uh, boots. Um, and you know, it, it's, it's a mix, right? I said, okay, well, on one sense, I, you know, smashed my ankle on my left side but in the other sense my right foot is completely untouched and like i said i can only imagine that i spun like a like a whip but maybe i didn't you know and maybe i was just unlucky in terms of the hit right uh, in that but you know truth be told you know they, they make more expensive boots they make more expensive i didn't have the top of the level gloves um when i say the metals i think those are actually the top level ones i probably had the carbons or mm-hmm. or one lower than that um the helmet was not a top of the line helmet. You know, it was a it was a good star, you know, helmet. It wasn't the full on race one. It was, you know, the the star MIPS, and the Cortec wasn't like a cheapo suit, but it wasn't like a you know a full on suit because you know, clearly, people who are interested in this but are are not sponsored by people are not made of money. So you, you know, right, right. <laughs> you want to you want to save enough money for tires and track days, of course. Um, sure. And uh, you know, as a result of that, I fared. I mean, I had people in the hospital when i told them that i you know went down at 90 100 miles an hour and spun about seven or eight times that i mean first of all i think you crashed on the street and you have to you know remind them no no, no i was on a track covered in leather and, and plastic and you know right. carbon fiber but they they just look at like you know you know it must have been a miracle but it's it's actually not a miracle it's it's science <laughs> in that mm-hmm. sense if, it, if you do wear that gear um you know, you have a really, really good chance. But that being said, you can also be incredibly unlucky. Um, and, you know, you can still die. Um, right. You know, my, my ankle, you know, one way or another way could have been completely untouched or crushed even worse. So I'd have to have a replacement ankle. Right. Um, there was somebody right behind me when this happened, somebody that I know really well and um, who also uh, took the corner college class, fortunately. Okay. You were not to target fixate and run over me, Good. but that could have been, that could have been a real thing as well. Um, and I'm very grateful that he didn't run over me, but he you know, happened pretty much right in front of him. And, you know, wow. I feel bad that I caused him strife on that as well as being, being one of the students. Yeah. But yeah, so, you know, so I think the key takeaway is, you know, 
motorcycling is inherently dangerous. Uh, track riding is you know, less dangerous in terms of getting hit by cars and things like that. But as you start to push yourself, there is definitely the, the, the chance to crash. And all the gear in the world still isn't going to you know, prevent an unlucky break kind of like what I had. Right. You know, honestly, you know, I know enough about crashing and, and what I've seen that this really should not have happened this badly in terms of the injury, but it, but it did. And there's no explanation at the moment. And, you know, you know, you think of, you know, like Marco Simoncelli, you know, like that, that crash was not something that, you know, in the end should have been a fatal crash to him. But, you know, again, you know, things Thanks. happen like that and, and you have to be cognizant of that. I think people really have to internalize and understand that the risks that they're taking on that um, and recognize that this is not a risk uh, free sport and, right. and you have to understand the consequences from that. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, it's interesting because I was kind of thinking about, you know, earlier today, thinking about, you know, our discussion tonight, just about kind of the the, the levels of skill and the commensurate risk, right? So if, if you look at street riding and, you know, obviously, like you said, there are factors and risks there that you don't have on a track, right? Generally on a track. And yeah, okay, if you're doing track days, there's different groups of riders. You've, you know, you got your beginner group and your intermediate and your your really fast guys and whatever. But everyone's riding in the same direction and they're all kind of with the program, right? We're on the street, you know, you got people texting and looking at cell phones and all kinds of crazy stuff, right? But if if you kind of just take that out of the like that those that randomness factor out of it and if you're take the time to learn how to ride properly and you do some training and you wear some proper gear, it, it's relatively, it is not danger free, right? But it is fairly safe. And then you kind of take the next level is okay. Track days. Now the thing is, well, you're pushing, not only are you pushing yourself more because you're in an environment where you can, right? But you know, you're going faster. So, I mean, ju- just those facts make it riskier, right? That's more inherent risk. And then of course you go to racing where, Get, those guys are just hanging it out on the edge. I mean, you just yeah, watch right. a guy like, like Marquez. It's like, you know, as stable as a motorcycle is and the way it's designed, I mean, you know, guys like that are almost on the verge of crashing all the time just because to, to compete at the level they're at with so many right. good competitors, you just have to push the bike like that. And so that's it. your kind of ultimate risk. But then the flip side is in, in good situations and series like MotoGP and Moto America the protections come up as well, right? So like now, if I'm not mistaken, MotoGP airbag suits are mandatory. And that may come for other series like Moto America. They've got huge runoff areas. The tracks are designed for crashing, basically. And and like MotoGP won't run at a track that doesn't meet their requirements, you know, in terms of safety and things. So like you said, it is just, I've talked before on the podcast about it's a risk-reward ratio. It's like, to me, I look at what's the benefits, what's the rewards I get out of this activity, and what's the risk? And for me, when I do the equation, the rewards outweigh the risk. And so I do it. You know, okay, so now, so maybe this is then a good segue into, all right, let's talk about getting Chris on the track. Right? <laughs> right? Still and, want to and, do it. That's impressive. Well, but, well, but this is actually a good conversation to have, and I hope it's something that the listeners benefit from as well, whether they want to do track days or not, right, is this is something to confront. And it was one of the reasons a couple episodes ago I had Jay on who, you know, had a, a, a crash on the street, you know, and she ended up with a broken leg and, and she's been healing for a couple months now, right? So I, I guess the thing, I, it, I don't want to ignore the fact that this stuff exists, right? I want, if people decide to ride, whether it's on the street or the track or they want to go race, as long as they've educated themselves about 
all that stuff, then I think fine. Then make the decision and do what seems right for you. So, you, you know, look, I mean, aside from your situation, I know people crash on the track. I've seen it. I watched the YouTube videos and the whole thing. And quite honestly, it is something in the back of my mind. And, you know, now to the point where, and maybe it kind of was before, but more so, I'm like looking at it going, like we were at, at you know, uh, Cycle Gear last night, you and I went, you know, there's only a couple people. The weather was kind of iffy, so only a couple people showed up for, uh, for bike night. But, you know, just wandering around the store. It was a little, like, drizzly out. And I'm, I'm looking at the Alpenstars and Dianese tracks, you know, like the, the full, you know, full suits. And I'm, like, looking at it going, okay, well, what's the price? 1100 1200 All right, I don't know that I'm going to spend that much. But I'm, like, looking at it going, yeah, I could see how this is a good investment. So forget buying the new Ninja ZX-6R. Right, that I was drooling over after I test rode one. Okay, you know, maybe like let's let's look at this. Let's relook at this thing. Let's look at buying a used bike. And in fact, in talking with um, who was it just recently? Uh, I can't even think. Who was the guest I had on my last show? It'll come to me in a minute. But at any rate, um, you, go ahead. You probably know, right? <laughs> I, I, I actually listened to it. Oh, actually, it was, ago, um, it was West, actually it wasn't. It, Wes Fleming was on the last show. He's not the guy I was thinking of. But anyway, the the right. thing was. Um, you know, buy buy a bike. Uh, actually, I'm sorry. It was Chris Base. Okay, the Moto America racer, Tone Cups racer, and we were talking about right. And because he did track days, he did one or two track days before he just decided to go racing, which I think is pretty cool. That's a whole other story. But his point was, buy a bike that's set up. Buy a used bike that someone took the time and spent the money to set up as a track bike. You know, don't like buy a bike off the showroom floor and then do it all yourself because it's whatever. It's very expensive. So. The point is, I'm like looking at going, yeah, like if I look at, I'll have to figure, obviously, what's my budget going to be for this endeavor. But I think, yeah, buy a decent used track bike and then have a decent amount of money for good equipment, good suit, good helmet, you know, because what's the fun of it if you're not well protected, something goes wrong and you get an injury that could have been avoided, I guess, you know. Yeah, it's actually something um, that I bring up a lot in when I when I teach beginners, uh, you know, through through the um, through the motorcycle school, um, as I remind people that in my life of twenty three years of motorcycle riding, I've probably spent more on gear than on motorcycles, um, and that doesn't mean I buy cheap motorcycles. It means I bought a lot of gear <laughs> in my life, right? Yeah, yeah. Partially because I, you know, at some point in my life, when I got to my forties, I probably gained enough weight that I could no longer wear the other gear. But, uh, but what I tell people, uh, particularly new people, and I think it's something that, that is true even for, you know, some people that are experienced that want to go onto the track is, um, spend some money on good gear first. And if you need to, you know, either, uh, you know, get a, get a, pre-set up used track bike or, you know, or even, you know, use your own motorcycle, uh, at first, because honestly, um, you know, my, my recommendation for people when they first go on the track is, um, you know, just bring your street tires, right? What you're going to do is you're going to go a little bit faster than you would normally do on the street right. on this track, because you are going to be so overwhelmed by the sensations and the thought process of the whole thing. Um, that this this is a long game. This is not a sprint. Um, there are people incredibly talented, like your like your previous uh, uh, guest who who did one track day and went racing. I was right. very impressed by that. By the way, <laughs> I wish I had had the the uh, the cojones and the skill to do that. But um, but you know, generally it, it's it's a it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Um, and the first thing you want to do is make sure that that you've got the right gear in place. And um, 
you know, take basically take your first track day as if it was a spirited mountain ride where you were all one way roads, you know, and, and think of it that way. Um, and don't, don't overthink it too much because like I said, you know, the, your attention is going to be drawn in so much to the task at hand that if you try to purposefully think about body position too much, you're or purposefully thinking too much about the theory of it. And, you know, and, you know, people who want to bring tire warmers when they're, when they're brand new and all these other aspects that, that get thrown into it is just a lot of noise, right. T- mm-hmm. To your current situation. I'm not saying it's noise to everyone. It's, it's noise to the, to the, to the beginners. Sure. Um, and I'm, I'm really big on this is one of the things that, you know, um, in the last couple of years, personally, uh, I've done a lot more meditation and I've done a lot more uh, really trying to remove noise from the situations that I'm in and really look through the focus and, and focus uh, onto, you know, what you're doing or, or focus on nothing, you know. And what I found is, um, you know, when you get people to, you know, say my goal for today as a beginning rider is to, is to take the, the track as if it's a spirited mountain ride. Um, and don't worry too much about everything else that, you know, by the end of the day, you know, they're not doing very fast laps, but they had a great time. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an important point, right? Because first of all, you have to also know at the end of the day, are you completely terrified or are you smiling and laughing? Right? Because those, those are two different things. If you're completely terrified, you know, maybe this isn't the thing you thought it would be. So, you know, it would be a shame to go out and, you know, buy, uh, all of these motorcycles, if, if you're not going to use them, the gear you can always use, right? I mean, sure. I, I wear full leathers on the street sometimes as well. And, you know, I, I don't have any, any problem or qualms with that, you know? Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, so the gear is always good to have, but, but, you know, make sure, first of all, you truly love it, right? Cause you're going to really want to truly love this <laughs> mm-hmm. in terms of the cost of the tires and, you know, and, and, right. and everything and the risk, like we said before, right. You know, you get to a situation, you know, I've got two young boys, very, very energetic, rambunctious boys that want to run and run. They've got so much energy. It's amazing. Right. And for the last two months, they've seen their, their father basically, you know, with a leg up on a pillow on, on a bed, mm-hmm. you know, or on the couch. And, right. you know, that's a, that's a, a, a cost that, you know, you have to truly love this to, to, to be accepting of, of those certain costs. Sure. Um, but yeah, just try to remove as much noise as possible. Um, try to take... If you have a motorcycle that has rear set um, pegs, um, you know, maybe the first thing you do is you just tape up the lights and you say, I'm just going to go there for my first day. And all I'm going to do is ride just about 10% faster than I would on a, on a spirited canyon ride. Right. Right. Obviously set the tire pressures appropriate for the track and, and things like that. And, and really don't do too much else and, and kind of see where that goes. And then if you, if you really like it and you kind of want to keep going with it, that's when I would recommend through personal financial experience that you should have it you should have a dedicated track bike because yeah. you don't want to dump um you don't want to dump an expensive you know uh motorcycle uh, off the track um which unfortunately i did do in this case which is another kind of unfortunate point to this whole thing was i do have a dedicated track bike yeah which is a ducati 748r it's an o2 748r it's a a, a truly beautiful machine uh it is um the engine noise of it is effectively one half of a, of a Panigale V4 or, you know, it, 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 um, it's just got an amazing sound and a beautiful, you know, rev to it and everything. Um, but, um, but I had bought as a street bike, it was one of my intentions was to use this for the corner college. I bought a a Honda Fireblade, a a CBR 1000. Beautiful bike. I will say I saw it. Oh, you did see it. Okay. I forgot if you'd seen it or not. Yeah. Um, 
and this was uh, truly, honestly, the first motorcycle I've ever owned that had electronics. Um, you know, even ABS. I've never even had ABS on a motorcycle before. Um, and I kind of expected the motorcycle to be annoying to ride uh, on the street, but, you know, enough that I would like to do it for short runs. Um, I have a touring bike. I've got a Ducati ST3, a 2005 with side bags and a, and a tail bag that I would use for long touring. But I just absolutely fell in love with this Honda uh, in a way that I can't really explain. It, 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 it can be a Swiss army knife to me. It can be a touring bike. It can be a sport bike. It could be a track bike. It, it could be many things just because of the ergonomics and, um, and the, the way that my body is. I'm actually relatively long torso and short legs, mm-hmm. which is pretty good to have, if, particularly if you're six foot like me, but, but like to ride sport bikes. Um, and I, I fit on this Honda like, like, it, like the motorcycle was made for me. So I got a little silly and I started to pr- bring it onto the track and I, and I um, really fell in love with the idea of traction control and being able to, to, to grind out of those turns. Um, but, uh, but I did pay the price in this case because I was expecting that when I was coaching, I wouldn't be going very fast. And, yeah. and uh, unfortunately, <laughs> now I've got another dedicated track bike that I've got to <laughs> fix up and, <laughs> and, do, and do that with. So, right, right, so yeah, right, right. definitely definitely don't do that. Don't, don't yeah. go like, get a brand new leader bike or anything like that. Um, but, um, but yeah, yes. try, to, try to reduce noise. Yeah. No, that, I think that, that's a really excellent point. And I think it applies to anything even riding on the street and uh like it's a big thing i picked up out of reading keith code's books you know twist of the wrist um it is that idea of work on one thing at a time so that you don't overwhelm yourself because then you're not accomplishing anything because you're just confused and it 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 can be upsetting obviously right it's like there's so much going on so right right. yeah that makes that makes a lot of sense now on so on the point about the bike so so i'm glad you bring that up right because uh, initially my thought, and it kind of, I guess, aligns with what you're maybe saying, is my initial thought about track days was, okay, so, like, I've got this Kawasaki Z900RS, right? And, you know, it's it's almost a leader bike, 948cc. Nine, it's not hugely powerful. It's 110 horsepower, but the thing can move. It can get out of its own way. And I was like, okay, so it'd be nice to be able to stretch the legs on this thing in a legal way and, a, <laughs> and, and, and in a safer environment. And to start to, now I wouldn't even say push my skills, but develop skills, right? And one of the things that was good about doing your, your corner college course um, was because I used that bike. And it really, even though, I don't know, maybe the fastest we went was 20 miles an hour or something, right? And, and, and the 20 different... To, 20 to 25 miles an hour. Miles an hour, right? designed to be, yeah. 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 But, but one of the things I really got out of that was a feel... For how and you know, if if I saw a video myself, I probably wasn't leaned at all. But compared to what I normally, you know, what you experience like in the basic rider course or what I'd done on the street, I felt like I was leaning the bike right, and it began to give me an appreciation for what the bike can do. Mm-hmm. You know, and and that's not something you want to learn on the street or test on the street, right? right. That's something you want to you want to learn and test in a parking lot or when you're ready to go faster, you know, in a track environment. And so, anyway, I, I guess that's what, what initially interested me about it. So I'm like, okay, yeah, so I could take this bike and take it on the track. Now, the later thought was, well, I don't want to be in a situation where I do something dumb and I throw the bike down the track. Not that it was a hugely expensive bike, but, you know, I mean, it's like, whatever, 12, 11, 5, 12, brand new, right? Um, 
So I would, you know, and it's my baby, right? So I don't want right. to. And yeah, you know, you can nice, put beautiful fl- too, by the way. Yeah, oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, I love that bike. And you can, you know, put frame sliders and stuff that will provide some protection or whatever. But the fact is, if something goes wrong, it, it's going to get banged up pretty bad, right? So, so now I'm like, okay, I like what you're saying. Like, I'm fairly confident I will like track days, right? But still, it, it kind of, to, to your point, it does make sense. Try it first before you go spend a ton of money, right? So then, okay, so maybe that is the thing. Because I have no problem at all with that idea of just go a little faster than you would go on the street. You know, like I, I envision my first track day is not like, oh boy, like I'm going to be hanging off the bike like Mark Marquez does. Right? <laughs> like I've said that, like I have no, uh, what's the word, like illusions of grandeur kind of thing, right? You know, I, for me, I think it would be, okay, let me get around the track, not get in anybody's way, you know, not scare myself too much. And have fun, to your point, right? Like, because that's, in any activity, that's what you want to see, people enjoying themselves. And if on my first track day I accomplished that, I'd be like, okay, that was successful, right? And so, to your point, maybe it does make sense to, like, bring, bring that bike. But, you know, at the point where it's like, okay, I really like this and I want to do it on a regular basis, then what I'm thinking I could see doing is selling my Vulcan S because, unfortunately, mm-hmm. it's just sitting there not really getting used. It's a great bike, but someone should be making use of it. And take the money, you know, and I'm going to get a hit because it's still fairly new and things depreciate so quickly. But, you know, take that money and, and buy a bike already set up for the track, even whatever, 300, 400 cc. Like, I don't need to have anything huge, although I would like to get your input on that. And anything left over and what I add to to get some good gear, you know, and, and maybe, maybe that's the way to go. Yeah, I, w- I would say you're probably a high chance of loving it, you know. So as as uh, you I said, think. you know, <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't see you going this far into the motorcycling and and in such a short time, you really had a mercurial rise, and it's very impressive to see everything that you've done and all all the information you've soaked up and are now providing Thank to you. to other people as well. It's it's very uh, admirable. Thank you. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I think the um, you know what I find amazing is how many 300 cc fantastic track bikes you can get you know the r3 you know the, mm-hmm. i guess it's now a ninja 400 but you could also get the ninja 300 i assume mm-hmm. uh even the 250 if you really wanted to um and you know there's even a cbr 300 i believe now there's yeah. you know there's a, there's a lot of these 300 you know cc uh motorcycles and um you know one of um one of the guys who's a coach with me at the at on the road again uh decided to get into track riding and um he his first motorcycle that he ever bought, I believe, was the Ninja Three Hundred, and he's been riding that Ninja Three Hundred for almost two years at track, and he's still doing it. Sure. And when I when I tell you that the amount of corner speed that he carries is 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 actually breathtaking to see. He's you know he's he's very talented, very very talented guy. And only now has he even thought to himself, well, maybe I should go up a little bit, you know. So if he, if he's doing, you know, lap times that are within striking distance of you know most people you know, who are in the intermediate class on leader bikes or, you know, or things like that, like that, that kind of shows you, you know, um, what you can accomplish with them. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously the worst accidents are high sides, right? Those are the ones where you get flipped over the top. Right. And, uh, you know, if you don't have traction control and you've got a large displacement engine, you know, and you get greedy with that throttle, you know, that's where you start breaking pelvises and collarbones and, you know, and things like that. And, you know, not that it, you can't do that with a 300 cc right. motorcycle, but it, it's, you know, it's, let's say a lower chance of doing that. Um, and honestly, uh, I've, my dedicated track bike for years is that 748 R, which, you know, um, I think from the factory, the 748 
R had about 106 horsepower. Okay. Uh, the, the regular 748s had, I believe, 97. Uh, my particular one I bought from uh, Wisconsin Superbike, and they had done something magical to it that I, you know, still don't quite understand because the ECU I've I've dealt with all the electronics, but what's not clear is what they've done to the engine. Um, and I believe it dynoed at about uh, 109, 110 at the wheel. So, okay. so you wow. know, so let's let's call it 115, 116 horsepower, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's not a whole lot of horsepower when you think about it, and um, and you can get a lot accomplished um, with that much horsepower with, with the corner speed that you can carry with that. So, sure, you know, you, you will not outgrow as as a new track rider, even if you're extremely talented and you, and you get up to speed really well, you will not outgrow a three hundred a modern three hundred cc you know um, motorcycle um, with, even in a couple of years. Honestly, it, it'll, right. it'll basically be up to you. I mean. I always think of it this way. This is one of the ways I like to think about it is if you take a pro level rider, right. And you put them on that 300 CC motorcycle, right. They will be maybe 10, 15 seconds off the lap record on a 300 CC, you know, motorcycle. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, so it's not the motorcycle. It's you. (laughs) Yeah. And, and for the most part, uh, you know, um, that's a good way to really learn, good corner speed right because i think that's a that's a, a a problem that a lot of people have is how to get good corner speed right uh they they focus on hard braking and they focus on hard acceleration uh but they don't necessarily do it in the right places and as a result of it uh you know they're, they're not really carrying the corner speed that they want through the, through there and they're just overwhelmed by emotions of braking from 150 miles an hour you know where a 300 cc will you know will top out at 120 or you know something to that effect right so you just bring the speeds down but the the corner speeds stay higher right so you're going through the corner roughly the same speed as as other people maybe even a little bit faster um and then you're just not braking and accelerating as hard and as a result of that you can it's a it's a, a great way to learn how to ride a motorcycle properly right 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 right, right. The, yeah because the right the 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 bike is not as I'm gonna say forgiving. Maybe that's not the right way to put it. But you know, on a lower displacement motorcycle, right? If you don't get it right, you're gonna lose speed. Like if, if you're gonna you, know it, yes. You, you can't make up for it, right? It, it's not like okay, so you messed up the corner entry and you didn't get a good exit speed, and now you're just gonna whack the throttle. I mean, of course you can just whack the throttle, but it's not gonna be like being on a leader bike where it's just gonna, you know, it's gonna want a wheelie on you and and whatever. <laughs> just to yeah, right, right. That kind of thing. But it, it's interesting too that you mentioned um, just that idea of skill of the rider um many years ago back i think it was the 90s my my only taste of racing was i went to pocono raceway and uh i think they're still there bertle ruse had a road racing school right so they put you in a formula v open wheel race car i don't know they're like 100 125 horsepower something like that and you're on part of the trioval you know so a little bit of each uh, two of the straightaways and then the infield right so it would, would slow you down or whatever but the point was, so, you know, whatever. So you had some classroom instruction, and then they got you a single file in the cars. You weren't allowed to pass or anything, but it was, it was a ton of fun. I mean, it really was. You know, you got to go out on the main straightaway. And I remember, I don't know how fast, I mean, maybe hitting 100 miles an hour or something like that. There's no speedometer or whatever. But I remember, you know, those cars are like go-karts, so you're like six inches off the ground, and the suspension is pretty tight, so you like feel everything. And I remember going down the straightaway being like a foot from the wall going you know if i if i mess this up <laughs> this this could be not good but the, the point i'm leading to is that then so i guess what it was is you got a chance 
I don't know. Was, oh, I know what it was. It was the slide car. They had a thing set up where you would have like four, three students at, at a time and an instructor go in a car that was set up that very easily slides, the back end slides out. And so it was to help teach slide control or whatever. So while you were waiting for your turn to do that, Bertel Ruse would take you for a ride around the track in mm-hmm. his Mazda, what the heck was it, Miata, right? It was at Miata. And he said, bone stock except the brakes. They, they, they improved the brakes. So I, I got in the car with this guy, and, and he just takes off like a shot. And we're coming down. We, we you know, went around the trioval. We're coming down the straightaway to make the, the right-hander into the infield part of the track. And I thought I was going to die. Like, like <laughs> I, I mean, he, he's racing up. You know, there was just like some barriers, barrels or something, just to mark where you turned in. And I'm like, I'm dead. There's no way. I know where he's got to go. There is right. no way, there is no right. way at this speed he is going to make that turn. We're going to flip. I'm going to be the only student that died in the wreck here. And sure enough, he just put the brakes on, slowed that thing down just enough, turned the car, slid a little bit, beautifully swept around that turn. And right. so that really impressed me. Like someone, I could, I could not drive that car that way. So somebody that really has the ability that knows what they're doing. It's, it's amazing what they could do with a piece of machinery, you know. Yeah. And it, it's not innate ability. I mean, there is some innate yeah. ability to it, right? But I think what a lot of people, uh, particularly with motorcycles, and I see with a lot of crashes, is that people, at some point, they get good enough, they feel like, I've just got to go for it, right? Like, I've, you know, I've just, I've just got to stop being so, so scared or whatever and just kind of go for it. And that's, that's when the crashes actually happen, right? Uh, the, you know, the reality is, is you, you, have to, you have to be able to get to a, um, a motor skill autonomy, in, in certain aspects of motorcycling before you have enough thought to actually pay attention to what the tires are doing at that moment. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so, uh, you know, until you, and, and basically 99.9% of, of the turns, you have more or less no weight on the bars, right. So that your, that your hands are, are merely there just to push bars and, and, you know, affect a uh, lean angle. Right. Um, and, and until you're fully connected with the motorcycle and your feet are all completely autonomous and, and where they want to go and how they, how they go, you know, that takes time. That takes a lot, a lot of time. And then that's when you start to really pay attention to the, what I call the second order, uh, things of, of motorcycling, right. Which is, you know, um, the, the attention, you know, how is my body reacting to these things, right. Or, you know, how, how are the tires reacting, the slip angle of the tires and, and, and things like that. And, you know, I'm not here to claim that I'm the greatest motorcycle rider in the world, quite, quite the opposite, but, but I, I do, um, I'm also, you know, so, you know, I started, <laughs> you know, with the, uh, with the Muzzy ZX, uh, seven double R, you know, on my, uh, on my wall, you know, as, as mm-hmm. a teenager, as a young teenager, uh, you know, absolutely loved. I mean, if, if even to this day, uh, if if I could find a ZX7 double R, you know, in good condition, that was you know full green. It's got to be team green. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that, that's just a motorcycle that's in my mind is like one of those motorcycles I loved forever. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I b- bumped into the Keith Code books, and at the time Keith Code was was with Kawasaki as well, so it was right. kind of like yep. this this masterstroke of like you know I love Kawasaki and I've heard yep. about this guy Keith Code and I, yeah. and I read all the books like you've done and and done all that, um, and you know that was the first time that I really began to think about motorcycling as breaking it into its constituent parts, right, and and, and kind of understanding that, um, and. You know, we talked about the attention and everything like that. That it's it's you get to the point where, uh, and we do this even in the BRC, right? We motor skill development is critical to riding a motorcycle correctly. You have to develop those skills, 
and they go through a, a very predictable, sometimes, you know, varying on the person quicker or slower, but they go through a very predictable range of like, you know, imagine you have never, um, you've never thrown a baseball before, right? So the first thing you have to know is somebody has to tell you how to put your fingers on the, like you can simply pick a ball up and throw it. And you could look, you know, pretty good. You can probably get the ball pretty close to somebody's glove. But then at some point, somebody's going to break it down to, no, you actually put your fingers here. And as you move your arm, you do this. And you've got to do those things in slow motion. You've got to repeat them over and over again. Right. And, you know, till you get to the point where, you know, you're a pro-level pitcher, is not thinking about his arm at all, right? He's thinking his eyes are on the glove. He's thinking about the strategy. He's in the peripheral vision, looking at the, the runners and, and everything like that. And you can't get to a very high speed on a motorcycle until you've gotten that complete autonomousness of the, of the motor skills first. Mm-hmm. And then that's when the kind of the mental skills come from that. Um, so, you know, so for people that are, you know, that are trying to get faster, you know, I would just say, you know, make sure that you are, you are really going around the track without thinking consciously about your motor skills at all, you know, and, and then from that point, try to, you know, make subtle changes into it and, and take the time to do it. Cause that, that's how, the people that are really fast uh, do this. They put a lot of time, they put a lot of work and a lot of repetition into it. It's very, very rarely, if you, you know, it's kind of like, um, I'm a musician as well, so I, I play drums. Okay. And, um, you know, the, the musicians that make it, the big, the big time, big money musicians, you know, they, uh, they get kind of lucky through the process, but they're also very good, right? Uh, but there are plenty of really fantastic musicians that, you know, that are out there that are, that are kind of never known. Um, and uh, the point that I'm trying to get across here is that um, don't, don't shoot for the stars <laughs> in this process, right? Put the time and the work in, be the session person in many ways and, um, and, you know, build that foundation so that one day you can get to that point where somebody would watch you ride and say, I, I can't believe that you, you know, that you did that. It looked like, you know, look like you were going to mm-hmm. crash or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, you know. That, yeah, that that's a really good point, and uh, something I had you know mentioned when uh, I interviewed Fast Eddie. And one of the things I like about what he does, and and granted, you know his his program is basically about parking lot practice, right? He's you know he does do track days and he puts up videos and stuff, and 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 that's that's cool because you know he's kind of got a broad array of stuff that he talks about. But he, he, like one of the things I think he hammers the most is practice, 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 right? And when I talked to him, that's why, you know, I made the point about Kid Rock and hearing him in an interview where, you know, the guy was like, oh, you know, what's it like to be an overnight success? And and Kid Rock is like, what are you talking about? He's like, I've been doing this for 15 years. I went through all this stuff, you know, working dive bars, gigs wherever I could, getting kicked out of places, having people steal my money, like whatever. And now, you know, after all that, yeah, now I'm an overnight success. Uh, so I think that's a really good point, and and even Dan Netting, you know, who who does um, tr- track at Lean, right? He he does track day coaching and stuff. Uh, life at Lean, yeah. Uh, sorry, life life at Lean. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. You, you know my episodes better than I do. That's awesome. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I've been watching. I've yeah. been watching Dan for for a long time. You know? Okay. And, yeah. And, and people like Fast Eddie and Dan, even yourself, you make me look lazy. I mean, you guys are machines in terms of the content that you're that you're providing. You know, you really. Uh, I, I really got to step up my game at some point. <laughs> well, in that you know, process. and and, and you know, it's cool that you have your podcast and everything. And actually, one of the things, and and I have been promoting it. I hope people are going to to watch because I think you had five. You had gotten to like yeah, five I, episodes, I and I'm sure you get it going yeah. again. But um, one of the ones that really stuck with me was, and I don't remember which number it was, but you were you know making the point about the bike going where you look. 
and how people don't realize that it's, it's really just a thing they naturally do. Because I remember you're like, do this exercise. Go out on, go out in the neighborhood or go out on the street and, and take a walk and make a turn, like go left, right, whatever, and notice that your head turns before your body does. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, it is true. It <laughs> like I, went, I went out. I was like, okay, I have to do this. And I was like, the guy's right. It's like, you know, here I am. I can't, I can't like not do this without turning my head. So I, I just really like where you were going with that, you know, trying to break things down into pieces. Like you could just do one thing at a time and really kind of absorb it and, and understand the significance of it, you know? Yeah. My, my thought process was I want to, I want to provide something. I want to add to the dialogue, the, the pool of knowledge of motorcycling. Right. And what is it that I'm pretty good at? I'm, I'm not, uh, 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 probably not very good to watch on a video or I'm probably, you know, uh, you know, a lot of things, uh, you know, that, that I'm not good at. But uh, one thing that I think I have been good at over time is really being able to break things down and, and coach. I think, you know, the word coach was very personal for me and it was, it was a word that I wanted to include in this. Um, and again, this comes from Keith Code, but it comes from others as well. Is, uh, and I'd done track days for many years before I ever went to do a Keith Code um, and you know, doing level one when you when you're already, you know, pretty pretty quick at that point is kind of an interesting experience because you're like, well, you know, you know it's level one, but you know, I'm really, right. you know, whatever. But then you go through it, and then you realize, oh, I've never really thought about certain things, and the process of how they asked you questions, and how they they really get you to think inside your mind and how you're doing it is basically what inspired me to become a MSF coach at first mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and really say, Hey, you know what, this, there's something about this that, that rings true with me. I'm a, you know, I'm a person that whether, uh, uh, you know, I want to or not, I like to help people. I like to understand their point of view on things. Um, and I really get that. And, uh, you know, so it started my whole life as like, what is it to be a coach? What is, what does that really mean? And, and how can I use that, uh, in motorcycling? Um, and that's taken me on a very fascinating journey that's actually then come back into my work and made me a better person at my job, a better manager at my job in terms of how you work with people, how you mentor people, how you, you get people to be more productive around you. Um, and then that, again, feeds back into, into motorcycling and, and that whole process. So the word coach to me is a very, very uh, personal word because um, – you know, it's one thing I've had experiences. I've had good and bad experiences, obviously, with, with many different track day organizations. But the worst experiences I've had were, were when the, the quote-unquote coaches, or maybe we should call them control riders, uh, were there somehow to impress you in some sort of way. And that doesn't – it's impressive, but it doesn't really uh, affect you, right? And, and the places that I've been that have been very good are the ones that you know, are riding at 50% of their skill level the entire day. And that's just five percent more skill than you have at that moment, right? And that you know, and that's what helps you to go through that and, and actually help through that process. So, um, so yeah, so that's you know, it's it's very important to me that um, as we break down these things and these ideas, that the thing that I wanted to do with the podcast was to actually remotely coach people to get them to think through their thought process uh, in a way. And and every episode, if you notice, I have a, a physical exercise that you can do that has nothing to do with being on a motorcycle. So, you know, I say, notice, notice your look. And, uh, you know, I think I did one with steering as well and, and a few others. And I, you know, I think that that is the one thing I feel that I can provide, uh, as, as a benefit to them. And, and I think I said it to you, um, uh, after the, 
the corner college class when I found out that you were also a podcaster at mm-hmm. that moment. Um, and I said, you know, my goal was that at any point in time, anybody can start at episode one and go through whatever episode there is and go through a learning process. There's no time involved in it. There's no, you know, there's no current events or pop culture references or, you know, maybe there's pop culture references, right, but right, right. It's, it's untimed, it, yep. you know, and maybe make it a sort of a, uh, you know, a starting point or an ending point or a middle point of somebody's motorcycling journey, you know, to add to that, to that process. So it's never been about being regular uh, in terms of delivering episodes, but clearly I didn't think I would go this far <laughs> yeah. between episodes. And honestly, I had quite a few of them lined up before I gotten, um, before I gotten injured and, and such, but right. hopefully you'll, you'll hear some, some new ones pretty soon. That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. Yeah. And, and just so people know, and I'll put the link in the show notes. And like I said, I have mentioned it on prior episodes, but so the name of your podcast is the moto coach. That's right. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'll put the link. Uh, so people can can easily find it. I know they can just you can just go Google and search it, and you'll you'll find it. And also yeah, you can well, find find Tom's Facebook page, which is also the Moto Coach, right? It's a uh, Tom the Moto Coach. Tom the Facebook. Moto Coach. Okay. Somebody somebody took the Moto Coach already. Yeah, okay. yeah, that's <laughs> and, how it goes, right? Yeah, exactly. And unfortunately, when you don't release a lot of episodes, uh, the iTunes search sometimes doesn't. Uh, pull it up right away so you know kind of do a deep search for it it's there um i'm in a i'm in a yellow jacket and a white and a white modular helmet you'll you'll see the picture uh it's worth the search and hopefully if i start releasing new episodes it'll kind of pop back up again yeah like i said i'll I'll put the direct link so people can find it no problem and it's actually kind of interesting talking about it because like looking back at it you know in terms of my educating myself in motorcycling right so the basically was you know i did basic rider course to corner college with you and then i guess I guess it was it probably was after because I probably friended you on Facebook after that or something, and then I found that you had the podcast. Your podcast is really probably the first thing I listened to or read, you know, to to educate myself. Oh, like, wow. you know, just, yeah. so that's it's actually kind of cool, and that's obviously led to all this other stuff and you know doing a podcast and you know reading all the things I'm reading or whatever. So it's been really cool. And then you know the other thing that occurred to me is, okay, yeah, so you've got the five you know, episodes out and you probably wish you had more content out. But on the other hand, you are coaching, you know, which right, right. to me is like, you know, it's, it's a more important thing because, you know, whether you're coaching like MSF or on the track, right. It's that, that mentoring, you know, having people able to have a mentor who can walk, walk them through the learning process and shorten it so that, because honestly, there's certain things I think, yeah, maybe if you really practice a lot, you would learn on your own, but it's so much better, so much faster to just have someone who's been through it and knows it to just direct you, right? And then, you, you know, you get the quickest progress that way kind of thing. So anyway, that's awesome. I mean, like I love what I'm doing podcasting, um, but one of the reasons I do the f- kind of format show that I'm doing is, yes, I've learned a lot in the last three years. Um, I have some abilities. I have some knowledge, but, you know, I'm not yet an expert in anything. And so like my my game is, to interview people like yourself who are experts in various areas so people become aware of it, you know, and, and so it's like to just help get the word out kind of thing. Um, so that, that's like my thing, like kind of disseminating, get the information out there. <laughs> it's an awesome service that you provide. I mean, this is the great time to get into motorcycling. I mean, oh, there's man, so yeah. much yeah. information. Um, your podcast, it's not just because I know you and because we've yeah. been face-to-face at some point. It is truly awesome what you're doing with these interviews. Uh, you're getting some pretty pretty big-name people. I'm, I'm a real yeah, tiny that's... little fish in this in this pond, honestly. But um, it, it, what you're doing is a great service. And uh, you know, I, I wish that I had something like this. I mean, 
other than Keith Code books and sport writing techniques and you know a couple of the other big books that are out there. You know, we didn't we didn't really have much, um, and uh, it, it's good to um, it's good to see what you're doing. I'm really, oh, uh, really you. happy about no, it. No, yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you're enjoying it. I'm glad people seem to like it. I mean, I'm you know I get emails and it's really cool. Like I'll be at work, you know, doing my computer program, and I get like a Facebook message. Hey, Chris, you know, I listen to the episode. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so no, it is like, and that that's my that's my pay. You know, because it's not, you know, I'm not getting paid to do this thing, and that's fine. You know, it's like I just want to do what I can to help people and expand the community and stuff. So, right. um, the other thing, too, I thought of that was interesting was I think it was Ken Hill. I was listening, he'd actually been doing a podcast. Oh. Yep. I think I think he stopped, but I had listened to one of his earlier episodes. It's infrequent. He still updates. Uh, does he? Okay. So, I really like his as well. I, yeah. have to, yeah. I have to make sure that he's in my podcast app so I don't miss any. But it was an early episode where he pointed out, I think it was Ken Hill, that he found in coaching students in motorcycling and motorcycle skills on the track and maybe it was street also that because it just what you said before reminded me of this he found and they the students found that their lives were improving in general absolutely you know and and what you know because of whatever it is because of developing the discipline, overcoming the fears, what, whatever it is that you have to do to become good at riding a motorcycle. It was just like skills to your point of what, like what you talk about in your podcast that transferred over. So I, that, that is really cool to me to take something that's just like a fun sport hobby that we all love so much. And then you get these other side benefits. It's like, <laughs> it, it's honestly the, 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 the least thing I expected from all of this with that. It would make me a better parent. It would wow. make me a better friend. Uh, it would make me uh, a, a better, you know, worker, manager, whatever, whatever you want to call me. Um, and yeah, th- this idea of coaching, this idea of getting people to better themselves by giving them the tools they need at the moment that they need it, mm-hmm. and meeting them where they're at. Right? Not uh, you know, there's uh, there's no script for learning how to ride a motorcycle on a track. Everybody right. comes from a different experience. You've got. You know, uh, you know, uh, you're in computer programming, so you know maybe we can make analogies to programming yeah, for right. you. Somebody is a gardener. Um, you know, I had a, I taught a, a woman um, who was in her mid 30s. She had ridden on the back of a of a Harley her entire life, and she wanted to ride a motorcycle. And uh, you know, so one of the first things I I did was actually asked her what her hobbies were, right? And when I found out that she was a gardener, I can make analogies to gardening to give her the understanding of you know. Uh, you know how 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 to use the clutch and how to use those things and you know mm-hmm. that's you really have to get inside somebody's thought process yeah. and and really really understand who they are and where they're coming from to give them the right tools to do that and it helps both people it helps it helps me immensely as a coach now sure. but when I was the coachee right uh, it helped me immensely because it was the first time you know it's a teach a man to fish give a man a fish. Well, probably the other way around, you know, thought right, right. process, yeah, yeah. right? Exactly. Yep. And you know, you teach somebody how to fish, and they can go teach somebody else to fish, right? And they can right. teach somebody else to fish. And if you're just spoon feeding things, and you're and you're you know pontificating from the mountain, um, that really doesn't help anybody. It doesn't even help you. Actually, it makes you more out of touch with your abilities as you yeah. pontificate, you know, from that process. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So. So your ability and your willingness to do that, right, to kind of, I guess, get into the mindset of the student, is, is that something that comes just naturally to you? Is it something you picked up or learned someplace? Well, I, I definitely did some training uh, through uh, through MSF. Um, I've also interestingly done um, – so I'm, I'm also in software development, although I'm right. – uh, 
I'm, uh, I'm in um, user experience, so I, I, oh, I also okay. deal with kind of the psych- psychology of using software and gotcha. you know, user personas and things like that. So right. I've had that background of understanding, you know, this, How this people person's see persona. Things, right? yeah, yeah, exactly. So I was kind of lucky maybe to have that as well. Oh, that's cool. Um, and then on top of that, I've also, you know, done some management training, you know, as I've gone through my career. Um, and some of that management training in itself is also about, you know, good managers are good coaches, right? Yeah. And I had a, a pretty good leg up on that because by the time I'd gotten to that point, I was already coaching and I, you know, I was already doing that on the motorcycling side. And I was just like, wow, you just trade a motorcycle and somebody in leathers, you know, to somebody in business casual and, 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 uh, and a laptop. Right. And, <laughs> and it's, very, it's a very similar process if you that's, do it right, right? That's and people cool. who have bad bosses or bad teachers are usually because they're not good coaches, you know? So right. honestly, the uh, the whole world would be a much better place if everyone at least read up on what it is to be a coach yeah. and, and go through that process because it's about empathy, right? It's about putting yourself in somebody else's shoes and, and understanding that process. And honestly, you know, the whole world benefits if more people do that. So. Absolutely. No, that, that's a great point. That is, yeah, yeah. that is really cool. Um, so we'll probably have to do a part two. I know it's getting a little bit late. I don't know how you're you doing okay on time. I'm I'm doing okay. I think uh, the the kids are uh, are being well cordoned off oh. from my. Uh, <laughs> Where's Daddy? We, we want to play. Exactly. He finally came home, right? Um, so yeah, we, right. we could we could wrap it up in a little bit, but just kind of I guess to come to a little conclusion. So on this episode, so back to that initial idea about me getting on the track. So yeah. So let's say I decide. Okay, I'll take the Z900 RS. Right. Now, I've heard different things, and I guess it depends on what group you're riding in, your beginner or not, and what the track day school is, and et cetera. How much prep would I need to do on my bike? So, yeah, so as a beginner, um, most of the time you, you'll do very little prep. Uh, that, you know, one of the things, because <laughs> I've seen it an unusual amount of times, is whatever you do, do not change your oil the night before you go to a track day. Uh, because I can tell you how many times I've seen somebody dump a trail of oil, uh, you know, around and a beginner, you typically don't have to, uh, you know, drill your, your drain plug or wire tie or do anything like that. Yeah. You, you might want to do it either way. It's actually very easy to do, but if you're, if you're really trying to do like a low stress day and you just want to, you know, show up and arrive and do that, um, you know, it puts some stress on your engine, but it's not that much. And if you're far away from a, from a service interval, just, just don't touch it. Right. If it's not leaking anything now, don't don't, you know, definitely don't touch it there. Um, And, um, you know, obviously make sure your tires are in really good condition. They should be relatively new, Uh, you know, um, as the tread wears on a tire, the the um, the traction degrades actually pretty quickly and Mm -hmm. the pressures change a lot more quickly because there's less mass on the tire. Uh, You know, so you want to make sure that you've got, you know, pretty, pretty good tires. You know, if if anything, you know, uh, if you're going to again, don't buy new tires <laughs> the day right. of that track day, you know, you might want to at least go scrub them in a little, yeah, yeah. 100 to 200 miles or so, although, yeah. you know, it's not entirely true, but again, for a beginner, you know, that's probably a good case. Um, and just make sure the motorcycle is in really good working order, right? That's, that's you know, kind of critical. You're going to stress components more, particularly brakes, uh, you know, than, than you've done before. And, you know, just make sure, you know, if you've got any doubt in your mind about something on the motorcycle, get it addressed well ahead of uh of your track day mm-hmm. um and then you know don't try not to do anything last minute i mean uh, the, the the other things i guess are with lights so right. a lot of people you know if you've got detachable side mirrors 
you can take them off. If not, you can usually tape them up. Uh, use painter's tape. Don't use duct tape or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, um, a friend of mine uh, taught me this trick. Is On Amazon, you can get all the different colored painter's tape. So if your bike is okay. green, you can get green yeah, painter's tape. Nice. Okay, I, had, cool. I had a black, uh, you know, black CBR, so I was able to put black yeah. painter's okay. tape okay. on those things. Um, if you can take the headlight out, if you can just physically remove the lights, that's all the more better. That's, you know, unfortunately less things that would break if you did get into a situation like that. Right. Um, but don't, don't try to overthink it too much, in my opinion. You know, think of it as you're going to go uh, about 10 to 15% faster than you would on a, on a mountain road. And think of it as that, you know, take that approach and, and kind of go with it. Right. Gotcha, gotcha. So stuff like draining the radiator and putting in water, that's for the higher classes? Yeah, yeah, that's usually, usually the higher classes. You, know, some, you have to check your particular tracks. Some of them are, are a lot more strict about that. Um, but, but yeah, ch- typically as a beginner, um, which, you know, as a side note, I always find that kind of funny because I don't think the speed makes any difference of whether you're going to leak coolant or not, you know, it's, <laughs> but whatever, whatever it is, you know, maybe, I, I the thing- maybe the idea of pushing it, like, you know, right, a, a right. beginner is not pushing the bike as hard. So there's less likelihood of blowing a radiator or, or right. hose or, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, right. Okay. So, nonetheless, right. yeah. Okay. If you could, you know, if you do have the presence of mind, you can do like a like an engine ice or you know, or um, you know something that doesn't have. Um, I think it's propylene glycol. I'm forgetting the which I guess is kind of slippery. Yeah, it's, that's that, that's pretty slippery stuff. Um, okay, you know, it's it's the stuff that makes you know it smells sweet and you know right. dogs like right. to lick it as well and all that other stuff. Yeah. If you could change that out well early, um, but if you're going to go straight water, uh, you know that you're at a pretty serious state at that okay. point and. Okay. It's not well, that, right and, and the reason I ask, and I, just for the benefit of listeners who are not familiar with track days, right? So what we're talking about is when you take a street bike, well, like any bike, and you're going to race it on a track, there's certain rules and regulations and things to keep things as safe as possible, right? So you don't want to have a situation where there's an accident and there's pieces of glass on the track because obviously that leads to tire punctures and stuff. So, you know, any glass that you have, headlight or mirrors or anything on, on your motorcycle, you tape up or, or remove Right. Then the thing with the antifreeze is that it can be slippery. So if you are, you know, leaking fluids like antifreeze, you know, at the higher levels, you know, track days, they want you to put water in so that it's not slippery and stuff. Um, but that's primarily it. Right. It's covered a glass, you know, yep. maybe whatever, you know, like I said, replace the, the antifreeze with water. Um, like we talked about tires and check, then uh, uh, check the chain tension. So you want to make sure okay. that your chain tension is in is within the range. Uh, that's especially important for um, for tight chains because if, if your chain is really tight, then you have a higher chance of uh, of losing grip on the rear tire because you're effectively stiffening your rear suspension. Right. Um, as a result of that, and if the chain is too loose, you've got the probability of it, you know, coming off and causing a lock tire. As it kind of, you know, that would be a really terrible situation to be. Yes. In. I've never seen that personally, but you know. Right. Although we did see, I think it was Lorenzo lost a chain entirely. <laughs> oh, really? Race, yeah, a couple oh, a couple wow. of races ago. Um, and and then the other thing with the tires that I, I failed to mention is you're going to want to drop those temperatures. Uh, excuse me, drop the pressures on on the on the tires from like um, the manufacturer user manual spec. Right. You have to remember that 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 spec is built uh, with a couple things in mind. One is if you have a passenger on. Two is tire wear. Right. Um, and actually, uh, the higher the pressure of the tire, the more stable the traction is, but the less traction you tend to have. So they kind of go for the safe 
you know, sort of aspect of it. Whereas if you start dropping the pressures on your tires, you, you get more traction that could potentially be less stable. But, um, again, there's a, there's sort of a risk reward to that whole process. Straight off. Yeah. And what I would recommend is that you, you, uh, you find somebody, you know, or even going to the manufacturer website or finding somebody who sells the tires, who knows it really well, because again, depending on the tire, the, the pressure drop can, can vary wildly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, extremely wildly. And some people want you to measure it cold. Some people want you to measure it hot. Right. Um, so, so double check that as a rough, rough guess for most tires, you're looking at like 31, 30 PSI in the front and, you know, 29, 28 in the rear. Okay. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't take that as gospel. That's something you should definitely check. Sure, uh, sure, but, sure. No. Yeah, it's interesting. Don't be running like, 35, 36 PSI front and rear. That's, yeah, that's not yeah. going to help you. Like straight mine, what's the record? With 36. Thirty-six forty-two is what mine is. Part, you know, for, for just street riding. So yeah, so that's, yeah, that's a good point. And then, um, in terms of gear, right? So full face helmet, right? Yep. No, no modular most, or anything like that. Yeah, most of them require Snell certification. Um, okay. And I think at the moment it's still true that no modular passes Snell certification. That's um, cool. right. It, that may be, you know. Not because they test them and they fail, but because they theoretically don't allow them. Yeah, the, uh, I, the last I heard, and this this is just verbal; it may not be correct, and maybe I'll, I'll check and put it in the show notes. But I think Snell will not yet test modulars. I think is the right, thing. Right. Um, so yeah, it's gonna it's gonna need to be Snell uh, uh, certified. Okay. Uh, most EZE helmets are certified Snell as well, but in at least in the in the U.S., every track that I've been to in the U.S., they check the Snell rating. Um, so that that's important. Uh, obviously, any helmet that's uh, got scratches or cracks or anything like that, you know, no, uh, no you're good. Not going to bring no no good whatsoever. Right. Um, and um, and then in terms of you know full leathers, if you're a bigger guy, which I am, uh, I fortunately fit in usually the largest size that they make in in uh, in one pieces. Um, that's more by luck because of the fact that I've got shorter legs and a longer torso. Uh, mm. But if you if you have trouble fitting in that, they, there's a lot of good two-piece suits that have a full circumferential zip. Right. And then you, could, you can get a different size pants and jacket, you know, for okay. whatever you need to do. Right. Um, but almost all of them will take leather. I think a, a, a few will take, if it's your first track day, you can take a full textile, like a, um, I'm drawing a blank on the, the most famous one piece of all time. <laughs> uh, like a, oh, um, uh, Aerostitch. Like, Aerostitch. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, like you could take an Aerostitch or something like that, but it's usually if it's your first uh, track day or, you know, uh, something uh, like that. But right. for the most part, you're going to want to, you're going to want to do leather. Yeah. Um, and you're going to want a back protector at the very least. And for me personally, you're going to want to do a CE level two back protector at this point. I think mm-hmm. they're, they're not that much more expensive uh, than the CE level one. Um, and, uh, you know, CE level two, honestly, you know, I'm actually thinking about writing an article about this. Uh, I think I'd mentioned it to you that, you know, the, 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 the CE ratings and, and, you know, how everything is rated is, is kind of confusing and, and sort of nefarious. But yeah. for the most part, if you, you should be seeking out CE level two gear as much as humanly possible. And the most expensive gear isn't necessarily CE level two, which is kind of strange. Mm-hmm. Um, so you really have to do your homework on that. Um, the one thing I have yet to find, not that it doesn't exist, uh, is a CE Level 2 name brand uh, boot, which would have helped in my ankle because my boot was actually a CE Level 1. Okay. Uh, maybe maybe could have helped. But, um, but certainly gloves, uh, leathers, back protector, armor, 
uh, helmet and things like that, although the helmets aren't CE rated, but you know, other things that could be CE rated, you should really be looking for that level two because I had CE level two back armor and I have absolutely no issues despite the fact that, you know, I had tumbled quite a bit and right. uh, as an older person, you know, somewhat older, uh, you know, you well, don't young, want young, young, younger person to me, but that's fine. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So now that, that, yeah, and a good, good point. Now, CE level two is available in all pieces of armor, right? Like, like you can get like elbow, shoulder, yep. back, knee, like everything is available CE level one or level two. Right, right, yeah. Okay. So, so you can, you can, uh, you know, if you happen to have a piece of gear that you've had for a while that you like, you can swap out swap the up. armor inside of it. Right. And uh, you know, there are a couple of companies now, and I, I don't think the armor is particularly that expensive, but the, I, you know, the, um, the protection is pretty significant, particularly for the armor. Right? Sure. I forget the numbers off the top of my head, but you know, they they, they rate it in terms of like time and force. You know, okay. and I think uh, I think in both cases the time is the same, but the force is something like four times the amount of force for CE level two versus one. Mm-hmm. Right, so that would be a good investment. Yeah, especially especially on the track. Now, the the back protector you have is that like a pad insert in the back of the suit, like you have in a riding jacket, or you have like one that straps onto you under the suit. So I had a strap on uh, one of those. I had a Knox. Um, I think it was a nine plate. So it was it was a specific racing one that actually goes over the coccyx bone. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me personally, getting that that strap around my chest and, and holding that tight, I felt that it was affecting my breathing yep. in certain ways. Again, I'm I'm a bigger guy. You can imagine I'm six foot two fifty. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a tiny uh, Italian rider or anything like that. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, so, uh, so it was a bit of a risk, honestly, but I think I've proven that it was okay that my, um, my particular Cortec had a pocket in the back and, um, I, I got a for I think it was a force field, um, okay. um, CE level two that I, that I basically, uh, put in that, I got the right size and shape to put in that yep. pocket. Yep. Uh, and as a result of it, you know, it was always there. It was never it was always in the same spot every time, you know, sometimes the, the, the nine plate, you'd have to get the suit on and then push it down, you know, cause it would ride up your back of your yeah. neck okay. or you try to, you try to be in a tuck and you'd look up and you'd feel the plate against the back of your neck, you know, many, many things, you know, different for different people. But I think I've more or less proven, at least for myself, that if you've got a pocket in the back of your leathers and you put a CE level two back protector in there, that it's, it's probably going to be pretty good. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And and that's something for listeners I know I've mentioned before, but definitely check that out. Like, especially less expensive gear, jackets and stuff do not come with built-back protectors in them. There'll be like some kind of foam insert that basically yeah. is a template so you know what size and shape much. back yeah, protector exactly. you should get. In fact, at Cycle Gear yesterday, Gina just bought one for her jacket because, uh, you know, it was that foam pad. So she bought a, uh, I think it's, she go? yeah, C level two icon, I think. It wasn't that okay. expensive. It was like thirty bucks or something like that. So yeah, she didn't want to. She didn't want to go for the sixty dollar one. So I was like, okay, <laughs> I get it. You know, right. um, you know, you do maybe upgrade your gear. You know, step by step. And then right, what I'm doing right now is I have this Bond Armor shirt basically that I'm just wearing under my jacket with the pads removed because the Bond Armor thing's got better armor than the jacket had. You know, right. so at least right. for the streets for now, that's fine. So okay, cool. So that helps a lot. So I'm kind of thinking. Well, actually, um, I, I know you're still recovering from your injury and whatnot. Are you? Do you have any plans upcoming, like the rest of the summer, to be at a track coaching? I know it's probably kind of hard if you're not on a motorcycle, but what's your plan that way? Yeah, I, th- I think I have to see. I'm, you know, like I said, this was my third day uh, actually walking unassisted. 
Yeah. Um, I have physical therapy starting basically tomorrow. Okay. Um, and I'm going to see how the next month goes. I, um, I've traditionally healed bones pretty well. Uh, I, you know, I have a pretty positive out, outlook yes. and I'm, I'm a tough guy. And I also believe that bodies, uh, need some resistance or some, some, uh, what's the word? Some strife or whatever you want to call it okay. to, yeah. to know how to heal correctly. Um, yeah. and as a result of that, I plan to walk as, as much as humanly possible and, and get into that. But uh, I'll see. I, I kind of do expect, though, that I, I wouldn't really start until the beginning of next year at this point. Okay, um, gotcha. And kind of even even walking around, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, because um, what I'm kind of thinking, I mean, there's obviously still time left this season. But, you know, for me, so I think I like the idea. You know, I'll take the Z900 RS. I need to put some money together for some gear because I do want to make sure I have proper gear. So probably what I'll do, if I can swing it, is if some of the guys in the group are going up, like, you know, to a New York safety track or something like that. Maybe I'll go up on a weekend, just hang out and just check it out and just watch what's going on, see what right. I can pick up and learn and then start prepping myself for next season. You know? you know, it's funny. You bring up something I never thought to do. Uh, and that is, you know, if I went up there simply to coach you or to coach somebody yeah. and not actually ride, yeah, that, you know, that might actually be something that would get me kind of back. You that, know, back into the swing of it a little bit. So that's, and it would be valuable too. Like I, I know, like for racers, that's often a thing, right? To have ciders on the track. In fact, I, right. I forget who it was. I just because I listen to the Motor America podcast also, which is really cool. You know, I recommend people listen to that. Um, you know, and then there are racers who are like, you know, maybe they don't race anymore, but you know, racers like, hey, buddy, do me a favor. You know, I'm going to be out. You know, whatever my warm up, go to that turn and watch me and like let give me feedback. Yeah. You know? So yeah, that yeah. that kind of thing, yeah, just watching students could be really valuable. Yeah. Or even to debrief and, and question you and uh, yep. and and go through that process. You know, yeah. um, we're, we're running pretty late, but I did think it would be kind of interesting to go through sort of a uh, a question series and you know kind of understand how I would coach somebody through that process. Maybe that's right. something we can do at another time or whatever. But yeah, that, and if you want to do like a follow up yeah. episode, we'll do, let's do that. Okay, but yeah, you got my wheels thinking. Maybe you know if you wanted to do something later in the year, um, you know, maybe I would just simply go up with you, bikeless, and and actually, uh, you know. Okay. Do the debrief, go see what's going on in your head, right. you know, give you, give you some, uh, maybe a little exercise or two to focus on, on, on each of the ones and, you know, see how that feels. Okay. That'd be cool. Yeah. That'd be cool. All right. Yeah. Well, then, well, we'll be in touch definitely. So, uh, Absolutely. Yeah, we'll just see, yeah, see how you're feeling and we'll see what I can get together and we'll see, yeah, what we can unfold that way. Awesome. awesome. All right. Cool. 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 So Tom, listen, this has been a blast. Um, Thank this, you. Yeah, this no, is actually, yeah, they don't usually go this long, so I guess we had a lot of good stuff to talk about. <laughs> I hope it's interesting. I mean, no, absolutely. You know, I hope. Yeah, yeah. I hope. You, I mean, listen. I um, actually, I put a, a message on my Facebook page. They actually because I have different groups on my Facebook page. You know, for new riders and returning riders, just so I can, you know, because I have my main page. I just post everything, and then sometimes I just want to be able to help people in specific areas. And so I just, you know, I've been doing a lot of these kind of interviews, like kind of you know more advanced or at, least, at least for people who've been riding a while you know like talking to keith code and racers and whatever so i just put a message in the beginners group hey you know what do you guys think of the episodes and they're like oh we love them keep coming so i guess <laughs> so i'm sure people will like this too like even if they're not ready for track days or they haven't see because that's one of my things too is like someone who started riding or they've been riding a while and never thought of doing a track day and they listen to this and they go and again i'd never push yes. anyone to do anything right that's a dangerous thing but if someone's interested hey I'm more than willing to help provide the info. And if they go, hey, you know what? I want to try track day, then score. You know, it's like yeah. this. It was a good thing. 
Yeah, I, w- I would say one other thing, just just because uh, I, it would really be irresponsible of me to not say this at the end, and that is that sure. uh, ensure that uh, most insurance does not cover motorcycles on a racetrack, right? So yeah. that good should be point. absolutely clear. Uh, and uh, make sure that you've got good health insurance. I fortunately work for a very large multinational engineering company. Mm-hmm. I've got great benefits. Yeah. I've seen how much it actually costs to fix me up. And it is a lot of money. I mean, it's sure. you know eighty, ninety thousand dollars of which I paid very little of. Right. And I'm very blessed to to do that. But um, again, not to scare people, but you know, if you're independent, if you're you know uh, you know um, an entrepreneur, and you've got you know no health insurance, really think about that as well because yeah. that that's life ruining. If you yep. you know get into an eighty thousand dollar you know emergency room and follow up surgery and things like that, that's you know that's something you should really be thinking about. Sure. Good, good point. And I'm guessing, I don't know, are you aware, like, other insurance companies that will, you know, you go for a track day and you can buy a policy for the day or weekend or so, whatever? Yeah, so I've been doing that research, actually, okay. um, partially because I made the, the horrible mistake of taking my street motorcycle and crashing it on the track, which, of course, was not covered um, mm-hmm. Uh, although, you know, when I first uh, started with that company, I think that the the, the wording was uh, no timed events and they changed it to no closed course events uh, that, are, okay. that are not uh, charity related or, you know, something to that effect. Okay. Whatever it is, I, I fully accept, you know, that, that process and, and it's, right. you know, it is what it is. But I, I am doing that research and if I do get more information, I'll pass it on to you. So you awesome. Pass it to your listeners because okay. I do believe there is some of that out there. Um, and I do believe that some of some of the you know existing companies still have the no timed so schools and you know track days that have you know educational effect to them uh, you know are, are are typically covered to, right. to some degree. Yep. But at this moment, it's still a, a very early research. It's like my it's my new passion right now to figure oh, that part, okay. uh, gotcha. part of that out. New, new research project. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> Let me know what you find out. All right. Awesome. So uh, if people want to contact you, what's the best way? So, yeah, I'm a bit of a I'm a bit of a social hermit, a social media hermit. But I have uh, so at Facebook, uh, I have Tom, the moto coach. So Facebook dot com slash Tom, the moto coach. That's the best way to to get in touch with me right now. Uh, I would like to set up a website at some point, but I don't have that yet. Sure. Uh, and then, um, obviously, uh, you know, listen to the podcast, the five episodes, and hopefully I'll get yeah. more than that soon. Definitely. Uh, and that's just the moto coach. So, uh, you know, the distinction being there and, um, yeah, those are, those are the main ways to get to me right now. Um, awesome. All right. Yeah. Good. And like I said, I'll put that all in the show notes. People will be able to find it easy. Awesome. And, uh, then, uh, any, any parting words before we sign off? And I just I wanted to reiterate how amazed I am at how quickly you've gone up to speed with this podcast. Okay, uh, thank you. Know, thank and, you. and the fact I mean you've you've interviewed people that uh, are you know some of my personal heroes in, yeah. in life, and you know you you've really uh, you've made me look like the laziest person in the world, honestly, <laughs> on some level. And, and it's hopefully it'll up my game well, on that a little bit. But <laughs> no, that's awesome. That, that is not my intention to make anybody look bad. But you know it, it's kind of interesting doing the podcast because. Honestly, like if it wasn't for this, if it wasn't for doing a podcast and wanting to have great content for the listeners, I wouldn't have the cojones to contact Keith Code, uh, Keith Code and go, hey, you want to come on my podcast? You know, or right. whatever. Like, hey, you want to have a phone conversation, right? 
But this kind of thing, it's like, what the heck? What the least the worst they could do is say no, and he says yes. It's like awesome. So, yeah, right, so anyway, right, it's right, been yeah. it's been a lot of fun, and I got a bunch of other things coming up. Um, I, I won't I won't no spoilers or anything, but uh, some other interviews and stuff lined up. So hopefully everyone's enjoying them, and I, I want to keep doing this mix too. Like, you know, okay, Keith Code, awesome. You know, Motor America racer interviewing you. You know, as a as a track day rider and coach and MSF coach, and you know, even like this guy G Four. You know, he's a new beginner writer it's like let's have right. him on the show I, like so everybody because everybody that's the cool thing everyone's got a cool story everyone has a viewpoint everyone has something to share you know so right. that's what I, I love I also, doing. Yeah, yeah and i also want to thank you you know it, obviously when you're not walking for very long periods of time you, you kind of get into a psychologically different time you know mind yeah. frame yeah. and i really appreciate that you've kept in contact with me personally yeah. Yeah. as well as talking about me on on the podcast and in some way you've kind of motivated me to you know to get back into this and you know I pulled off the microphone and dusted it off and you know awesome. <laughs> and awesome. said okay yeah let me let me do the let me do the interview and then maybe yeah. the momentum going so I appreciate yeah. it very much awesome Man, my pleasure my pleasure all right so listen tom thanks again i really appreciate it i hope uh, the recovery continues to go well and uh, you're able to get a bike set up and maybe you have one set up already like the ducati yeah, I still have the yeah. Ducati, so it's, right. it's in okay. pretty reasonable form. Yeah. All right, yeah. nice, nice, nice. Yeah. All right, so uh, be well, my friend, and we'll, we'll keep in touch on social media, and, uh, yeah, we'll definitely be hanging out at the track one of these days. Awesome. Thanks so much, Chris. All right. Good night. Bye-bye. Good night. A huge thank you goes out to Tom Walker for joining me on the show. As always, thank you to everyone who has written in. If I haven't mentioned you on the show yet, I will in a future episode assuming you've given me permission, but I do answer everyone's emails and messages personally as soon as I can, usually the same day. If you haven't already, please drop me an email or fill out the contact form on my website or message me in Facebook or Instagram and let me know that you're out there and anything you want to let me know about the show. You can email me anytime at soyouwantaride at yahoo.com or use the link in the podcast notes to my website, soyouwantaridemotorcycle.com, where you'll find all my contact details. And like I said, remember, I only mention or publish your comments and emails if you give me permission to do so. If you'd like stickers, please let me know. You can just you know, send me an email or a message and just give me your mailing address. I'll send them out. It definitely helps me promote the podcast. It's really cool. I've got uh, stickers on two Moto America race bikes now. Well, actually, one coming up. So Chris Bays has them on his bike. And then recently, I arranged something with uh, Cooper McDonald, who also races in the Twins Cup. Uh, he's got my podcast sticker, well, graphic, on a T-shirt that he put together with other sponsors that helped him get to the race that's coming up this weekend in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And then also in the follow, starting in the following race, he'll have my podcast sticker on his bike. So that is really, really cool. So if you'd like stickers to help me promote the podcast, just let me know. If you'd like to help support the podcast, you can make a donation using PayPal by going to paypal.me slash Christopher Geis or click the donate link at the upper right side on my website. Please like and leave me comments and a rating on iTunes. That'll help other people find my podcast and just continue to get the word out. Please like and follow me on Facebook and Instagram. I have lots of really cool content there, and I'm posting every day. So there's a lot of conversations and discussions going on. I've got some uh, private Facebook groups that you're welcome to join. You just have to let me know that you'd like to join, and uh, I will approve you to, to join up with us. So just search for So You Want to Ride, or you can find the links on my website. Keep spreading the word and help me build my online and listener communities. I'm, I'm really happy with how things are going. There's a lot of cool, cool things going on. I'm constantly meeting new people every day, making new contacts, and 
I, I really feel that what, what I've set out to do is starting to work. You know, I'm, I'm getting news about, you know, people who are starting to ride or returning to ride and they're getting benefit from what I've talked about and, you know, the people that I've had on the show and interviewed. So yeah, absolutely. Please, please be a part of that. I, I really, I really want everyone, everyone to participate at whatever level they, they'd like. So as always, thank you for listening. And just remember, whatever you do, it's always time to ride. Thank <laughs> you.